Is that, is that working? <clears throat> All right, no pressure, huh? <laughs> the guy does that and then he leaves. I tell you, <laughs> simply amazing. So if you'd open your Bibles, Romans chapter 12, I'm going to share a little update on kind of what's going on with the Mason family, and then we're going to be Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 this morning. First, I'd like to um, pray as well. Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for the sweetness of, of the fellowship of the body of Christ. Lord, thank you for the, uh, just the memory lane that is in this, this city, in this church building, on this campus with these people. And Lord, all that you accomplished in such a small amount of time as we were here, and um, I just so express my gratitude to you this morning, Lord God. I'm a, I'm a grateful man uh, for what you have done and are doing through this local church in my life, in my wife's life, my children's life, in the life of Pacific Coast Bible Church, Lord. Um, the fingerprints of Kettle Falls Community Church are all over uh, PCBC, and I just so want to gr- uh, express my gratitude to you, Father, um, for that, and I thank you for the just the kind intro that Tony has done, and thank you for who he is in my life and, and all that he means to me, and I, I ask for your blessing on he and Kathy and their ministry here and their love for this this town, Lord, and all the years that you have shown yourself so faithful through Tony and Kathy. And just pray for your blessing on them and on this congregation. <clears throat> and I pray, Father, as we uh, eventually do turn our attention to the Word, uh, Lord, your Holy Spirit would be about his work in your people. And, uh, Lord, I have no idea what has been going on in the lives or the mourning of the people in this room. And I am so confident you know exactly what you're doing with this passage, with these moments, with these lives. And so, Father, I just express my incredible dependency upon you to do the miracle of the work of the Spirit with the Word in the lives of the your people. Pray and ask that in your son's precious, precious holy name. Amen. <clears throat> so I'll do this really quick just to kind of give you an idea of what, where we're at. So 2006, we moved here. We were in Kettle Falls for a year and a half. Left here, went to Unity, Oregon and Eastern Oregon for four years. And now it's uh, next month, or no, rather this month will be 11 years on the Oregon coast at Pacific Coast Bible Church. So Megan is uh, 15. Um, She's not 16 quite yet. So Megan's 15, James is 13, Sam is 11, and Benjamin is 9. And this morning they said, Dad, you're not going to make us stand up, are you? Uh, Pastor Tony will cover that for you. <coughs> um, so Amber and I have been married 17 years this September, and we have been with Village Missions for 16 years. So for 16 years, we have been uh, on this really cool journey that started with you. And as I was thinking about 
kind of what to share this morning uh, in reference to just kind of an introduction is uh, there's a lot of things I could say, a lot of sentimental things, and then I'll start crying and I'll be uncomfortable for all of us. So <coughs> I, I just want to say thank you. I mean, you guys, I don't, think, I don't think you would have a grasp of how much you affected us. Um, see, I told you. Uh, because the, the trajectory of Kettle Falls in our ministry, um, in a very real way, God has used, and I know will use, to carry us through the rest of our lives in ministry, uh, what he did here. There are things that have altered my life forever. Um, most of those are good. <laughs> um, and God in his grace has uh, profoundly carried us, but I mean, I can hear... I can hear Tony's advice from 16 years ago. I, I can remember certain prayer meetings with the elders. I can, I can rem- remember being harassed by Lauren Gunther, and <laughs> which he did this morning. <laughs> so I was like, okay, everything changes except for a few things. So, <clears throat> um, but there were things done in that year and a half that. Uh, forever altered our our life, and I have just seen that throughout the last 16, and I know will affect the rest of our ministry. So thank you. Thank you for being there. I know you guys have seen a lot of interns come and go. We just decided never to go. So we're, we're here. We love this church. It's vitally important to us, and thank you so much for being such a support 16 years ago and for the last 16 years. Romans chapter 12 is where I want to take us this morning. This is a passage that has been very, very heavy on my heart. And uh, I, I tell you this in, in absolute honesty, being forthright on this thing. I, it's amazing to me what Tony just did in his introduction because I wanted to share a little bit just about the honor it is to stand in this very pulpit. Um, to stand in any pulpit is an honor, is, is moving to me and touches my heart. But when it's the pulpit of, of your mentor, of, um, <laughs> of somebody who's had such an impact, and then they allow you to come and, and share that this space uh, is, not, is not wasted on me. That, that means so, so much to me. So, wonderful to be here, and let's get down to it. Verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, Romans, much like the other letters written by the Apostle Paul, the first half is, is, is very doctrinally driven. It's all doctrinally driven, where you have all kinds of uh, theological truths that are being expressed and explained. Verses, or chapter rather, verses chapters 1 through 11 really are a massive argument in reference to the doctrine of justification by faith and by faith alone. That we are born again, saved, justified before God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel, 
the bad news of our sin, our fallenness, and God's wrath, and the good news of our, of our salvation, of our, of our justification before him. But in the Pauline letters, he usually goes halfway and then shifts to application. Chapter 12 is definitely that shift in the book of Romans. Verses, chapters 1 through 11 are very theological on this concept that you are saved by faith, and by faith alone. And then chapter 12 kicks in, and he begins with an appeal. And this appeal has to do with our living, um, not necessarily where we stand before the Lord. And let me just say, the reason I'm, I'm saying this and starting this way is I think one of the biggest, greatest obstacles in the life of the church always has been and continues to be is when people mix up justification with, with um, sanctification. So the concept that, is God pleased with me because I did enough good stuff to get God pleased with me, which is the base of just about every other religion. The concept that God is satisfied by the righteous things that I do. No, what is fundamentally different about Christianity is God is satisfied by what Jesus Christ has done. What, what has granted that satisfaction to God in reference to Dan Mason, how I could stand before him as a righteous man is because of the absolute perfection of his son. That's why Christ died, not to get me somewhat clean and I get myself the rest of the way, not to enable me to get myself a little bit better before God. No, he is the absolute perfect sacrifice. And so I stand justified this morning. If I died this afternoon, I'm not planning on it, but if I died this afternoon and I stood before the Lord and he said, why, why should I let you into my heaven? My answer is not because I preached this morning or because I was nice to my neighbor. My answer is because the perfect blood of Jesus Christ was spilt to redeem me. And yet we forget that all the time. And we start to think that I can't go to God. I haven't done this or I haven't done that. Let me just remind you, beloved, you, you don't go to him because you've done the right things. You go to him because Jesus Christ has done everything. He is the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now, let's stop right there because I know one response somebody may give is go, so wait a minute, Dan, you don't believe in any kind of obedience? Of course I do. That's what I'm building up to. But I never want to get it mistaken with works righteousness. We are justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not by our works. That's why Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 talk about our justification by faith. But then verse 10 immediately goes into our works that were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Chapter 12 is the appeal from the Apostle Paul, and what he's coming to here now is, therefore, since you've been justified by faith, now, this is what I'm calling you to do with your life. Since Christ has accomplished it perfectly, now this is what your life looks like. Now that you are born again to a brand new life, you're a new creation in Jesus Christ, this is what I'm summoning you to. So if you look at chapter 12, verse 1, the apostle says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Now, obviously, not just the 
dudes, brothers and sisters. The concept is the brethren, the believers. This word appeal is a, is a, is a coming aside. He's, he's urging them. Some of your translations may say, I appeal to you, brothers. I urge you, brothers. I exhort you, brothers. I'm calling on you, brothers. I, I can't help but hear my father's voice taking me by the shoulders and saying, listen to me when I talk to you. This concept of what he's saying here is pay attention. Catch this. It's vitally important. This is going to transform your life, what I'm calling you to here. Now, before I go any further, I just had this thought during Sunday school this morning. And I jotted it down on my notes as I listened intently to everything being said in Sunday school at the same time. And, I, uh, and what I jotted down was I, I never want us to get this, this thought process of we're going to the principal's office in reference to obedience to the Lord. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 does not call us to something that we begrudge, I don't think. I'm not saying it, he calls us to something that's easy. I don't mean that. But the call on the life of the Christian in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I believe is a call that we, by grace, are hungry to do, desirous to do. Um, one of the men that teaches at our, at our church, our Sunday school, adult Sunday school class, he consistently refers to God changing his wanter when he came to Christ. The things that he wanted before he came to Christ has been changed, has been transformed. Now, he wants these things that he one time hated. And the things that he hated, now he loves with a passion. And so this appeal here is not like some used car salesman with some broke down old rig that he's trying to sell to you to get you into this car. No, 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 no. The, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, is calling God's people to their greatest satisfaction and joy, which is obedience. But in our minds, we get it so messed up that when somebody says, you need to do this, our natural thought is, says who? I don't know about you, but when I see a, a stop sign, or not a stop sign, but a speed limit sign, and it's yellow, that, all that tells me is I can go a little bit faster. When I see a white one, all that means is I can go a little bit faster. <laughs> but the reality is, you guys... And this, this has been something that's been brewing in my heart. God knows way better than Dan does. And so when God calls me to something, it's not something that I have to second guess and kind of look at carefully. Rather, my Father, who is in heaven, loves me so much and is calling me to eternal joy in His presence beginning now, even in this life. And so when he calls me to a particular task, this is not somebody who's trying to do me harm. This is the one who knows better than I do. And so Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, I, I want to just do a little paradigm shift, and it's probably not even needed, you guys, honestly, but I, I want to do that anyway, that... This should be like candy to us, not like bitter medicine. This should be our delight, what he calls us to be and do here. And so the apostle says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, the therefore, in light of the whole context, I believe, of chapters 1 through 11, he's saying based on that, in light of that, and based on the mercies of the living God. In other words, that what I'm calling you to here is even not, you don't have it in yourself to accomplish this task. This is still on the base of God's mercies in your life. This is still the work of the living God that's going to accomplish this task in you. That on the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This concept of a sacrifice would be very clear in their mind. They would have an understanding. And as you go back through your Old Testament, you see this sacrificial system. This concept of grabbing an animal and making sure that animal was clean and pure and there was no harm done to it. It was a perfect sacrifice as best they could do with their animals and then take the life of that animal. Taking that symbol, that that picture that's in their mind, he comes and then he adds that one word, a living sacrifice. I want you to live sacrificially. Now, turn with me if you guys would. We're going to go right back to Romans, but Luke 9, Luke chapter 9, verse 23 just to show you that this is not necessarily a brand new concept, but really the apostle is saying what was being said by the Lord Jesus during his earthly ministry. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Please notice that. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the Holy Spirit angels. When Jesus says, take up your cross daily, I know that in our culture, we hear lots of people sometimes use the, the term that well, this is my cross to bear. You ever heard that? Maybe you've said that. I don't know. But it's interesting because of the things that folks are referring to when they make reference to this is my cross to bear is pretty laughable, really, when they say, oh, well, this is just my cross to bear. This is the cross in my life that I have to bear. A believer has a cross to bear daily, but it's typically not what they may mean at that moment. What the, what the Lord Jesus is saying in that is we've got to go back to the minds of the apostles. If you were to ask the disciples at that time when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, and you ask the disciples, what's he talking about? Every last one of them would have answered so quick, death. When they saw a cross, they did not see a piece of jewelry. They did not see uh, this, this little trinket, perhaps. When they saw that, the cross was an instrument of death. That was what it was designed for. That's what it is there for. Their culture knew that. They understood that. So when Jesus looked his disciples in the face, these men that he was ministering to, helping grow and loving them, and they were following him as his disciples, he was saying, gentlemen, Anybody that says they want to follow me, anybody who says they want to follow me, let them come 
ready to die and follow me. Let them take up their cross. Let them come prepared to lay their lives down. It's fascinating, isn't it, that he even in that passage said, let them take up their cross daily, which is, again, indicating this thought that they will probably not die that day. They may die the next day. They may die the next day. They may die the next day. But they don't know. What you're coming to is a mindset that you are ready, prepared to lay your life down at the feet of the Lord Jesus. So when you come to Romans chapter 12 and you hear what the Apostle Paul says here, beloved, this is not new. He's just reiterating once again what the Lord Jesus had said. Now, is there potential that believers may be martyrs at some point? Of course. People are still being martyred today in other countries and other lands. As they take a stand for the Lord Jesus, their physical life is taken. But in this passage... What he's calling on the brothers, the beloved, the brethren, the Christians to be is to be a living sacrifice, that they would give their bodies as a living sacrifice. I've made this statement before in the past at our church. I'll make it again. I think that quite often being a living sacrifice is more tricky and more difficult than giving your life in one fell fell swoop. Um, Amber and I have been married 17 years come September. I, I know for a fact I would, I would lay my life down for my wife. If a bus is coming and, and I'm able to push her out of the way and take the hit to rescue her, I would do that. If somebody said, I'm going to take your life or your wife's life, I, right now, here you go, take me. I, want, I would die for my wife. And yet... There are times I don't even have the patience to load the dishwasher correctly. (laughs) Isn't that interesting that Dan Mason would die in a moment for his bride, but at times I don't have the patience or the whatever in that moment to live sacrificially for her. So, beloved... I think if I went around and I asked the question, would you lay your life down for the Lord Jesus Christ? If somebody said, either you denounce Christ or you lay your life down, I would imagine most of you, if not all of you, would say, I would, I would give my life for Christ. And yet there are times in our life where we are, I'll just I'll speak of me, there's times in my life where I am pathetic in my sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I die for him in an instant, and yet living for him gets tricky. The Apostle Paul's appealing, urging, challenging, calling you and me, if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, if you've been justified by him, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, says, if that's the case, then here's what life looks like for you. You are a living sacrifice unto the Lord. You've freshly laid your life at the altar, and you have said, this life no longer is Dan's life. This life is your life, Lord. And that which you desire to do with all that I am and all that I have, I want to see you you do that, Lord. Talents, thoughts, money, time, effort, is yours. It's all on the altar. I'm all in. 
I don't want to leave anything on the field, Lord. I, I, want, I want you to take everything. Now, we f- I fail constantly. Constantly fail in that. But that is, what, that is the heartbeat. That's what's in my mind. Is Father, I, I do want you to have it all. I want to give it all to you. It's just tough sometimes because when he grabs it, I don't let go. And my hand is so tight on some of those things. But it doesn't change the call. Please notice, guys, that in the passage, nowhere in there does it say this is optional. You're in Christ. So you're a living sacrifice. Now, if you notice, down in the text, still verse 1, it says, holy and acceptable to God. This, this comes, brings us back to that concept of the Old Testament sacrifices that you would bring your best before the Lord. You, you would seek to take, take this animal that was not the one that was all shoddy and, and maybe you know, limped a little bit. No, you'd take the best sacrifice and you'd go and present that before him. Here he's saying, the sacrifice I want, the life that I want laid on that altar is a life of holiness. Now, please, guys, I, I want to be very clear on this because it's so confusing at times um, in, in, in the church where you hear that and you go, Dan, I'm not a holy person. Well, in a sense, you are utterly set apart and holy by the blood of Christ. In another sense, you are in the direction, you are growing in your holiness. You are growing in your Christ-likeness progressively. You, st- you start off, the gun fires off, and the Lord starts you on your track. And as you're doing that, he's patient, he's kind, he's transforming. And you want it to be holy before him. I don't believe that what he's saying here is that this holiness and this passage and this acceptable to him is based on Christ. I'm saying, I believe what he's saying is, no, lives that are truly lived out in a holy way. I want to be cl- a clean instrument in God's hand for God's purpose. I don't want to have to shrug my shoulders and feel shame when I get to be used in his hand. I want to be a clean instrument in his hand. I want to be acceptable before him. I want my life to be aligned with what I see in the word. Does that mean it is? No. I, I, no. Still struggle with sin. Still, still wrestling in this life. Absolutely. But my desire is to be a holy and acceptable sacrifice before the Lord. And he has so many means of grace to enable that, to make that a possibility. Now, here's what I find so fascinating. If you drop down, it says, which is your spiritual worship? That's ESV. I'm not sure what your translation says. Um, I think a, a better rendering is that word spiritual is used in other places in Scripture uh, where one in particular where it makes reference to spiritual, but a, a more literal rendering would be your rational worship. The concept behind this word is a fitting uh, act of worship. This is, this is what a rational response to the Lord would look like. This just makes sense. This is what is pleasing to him. 
when you think about all that's taken place in our conversion, you think about the Son of the living God being crucified upon a cross, the Father's wrath being poured out on the Son for a time, and the Son taking the intense pressure of the Father's wrath as well as the physical pain of the crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, all of that, you guys, leads up to us in our life as believers, this is fitting for how we should live in light of that which is ours in salvation. This is our rational worship. This makes the most sense that this would be our response. Now, I don't know about you, I love it when somebody tells me to do something and then informs me how to do it. There's a guy in our church, a, a dear brother of mine, and, and his classic phrase is, you know what to do, just do it right. <clears throat> and when, when somebody says, I want you to go do this, and they never give you some, some kind of tangible way of doing it, it gets very, very tricky, right? Well, verse 2, I believe, is the answer to, God, how do I do this? How do, how do I live a life that is sacrificial unto you? Well, look at verse 2. Number one, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Conformity is an interesting word, and it's a very interesting concept because you can be conformed without any kind of transformation. Uh, a liter another translation, Philip's translation, is do not be squeezed into the world's mold. So the concept that you play the part, you, you live the life that the world calls you to live. You live the life that the world is living. You think the way they think, you do the way they do, you dress the way they dress, and everything that you go, hmm, that makes sense, is because it makes sense to the world around you. That's conformity unto this world, where Dan's natural Sinful inclination is such that I'm walking down the path that everybody else is walking. And the scripture, I find it fascinating. I love it when the word does this. There's no maneuvering in this text. It says, don't be conformed. Done. Don't do it. Clarity. I am a man that has grown to love clarity. And this passage is crystal clear. Do not be conformed into this world. Do not live the way this world lives. Now, here's what's so fascinating to me, you guys, is that far too often, conformity to the world, we can put in one category and then feel like we've made it, okay? So, say somebody gets off the street, they just get saved, they come into a local church, and they look around, they go, okay, so I can't wear that anymore, I should wear that, okay, I can't say those words, those are the bad words, and they keep looking around going, okay, so now I need to act like this, not act like that. I can't do this while I'm around them. And they're looking for what? Conformity to the church. But not transformation. I have a dear friend that I love with all of my heart. And I can see that there's some aspects to his life where he wants to conform to Christianity. But I want to see transformation. I don't care what he wears. I want to see what's going on in his heart. But then it gets even trickier because we as Christians can then at times conform to the church and yet inwardly in our minds and in our hearts we're still conformed to the world. See, this is 
one of the more difficult tasks, I think, for pastors, for elders, are folks who can very much give the appearance of Christian, but internally, they're still utterly conformed to this world. If I were to talk about certain, we can make reference to whatever you want, alcoholism, drug use, watching particular things on TV or the internet, and we can say, no, I don't do those, I don't do those, I don't do those. What about pride? What about, what about um, selfishness? What about your rights? That's been an interesting one the last couple of years, hasn't it been? And as you look around and look folks in the eyes and you start to see, interesting how much we have been conformed to the world in some of our thinking that we weren't even aware of. The Lord's been dealing with me in a very real way personally in the last couple of years as a pastor in response to a lot of the things going on with COVID mandates and all those things. And I have found that deep in some of the root cellars of my heart, I'm conformed to this world in my response and my reaction to folks. See, conformity is not just what you wear. At times, it's your ideology. It's what you think and how you think. And that very much falls in line here where the apostle says, do not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You're not being conformed. You're not being pushed into a mold. No, rather what's happening is from the inside out, you are becoming a new person. Progressively, the Lord is transforming you daily, more and more and more. And, you know, obviously, you guys, where this, where this rubber hits the road, this renewing of the mind doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from the pouring in of the Word, drinking deep from the well of Scripture. Not just necessarily only reading the Bible by yourself, but also the study of the Word. Also Sunday school classes, Bible studies, the right preaching of the word, being in the presence of other believers, hearing their testimony of how they're doing as, as Christians, and all these different means of grace. I jotted down a few. The reading of the word, the study of the word, the memorizing of the word, the, can't read my own handwriting, the meditating on the word, availing yourself to quality Bible teaching, fellowship with the saints, discipling a new believer, being discipled by another believer. Pursuing the lost with the gospel. You guys, the more we are doing this, the more our minds are being renewed. Now, at times, it, it, it catches us immediately when we come to Christ and we're born again. We're new believers and we start to go, wow, really? That's the way it's supposed to be? Man, this whole time I was going this direction and the truth is that direction? I thought it was fine if I did that. I didn't know that that offended God. I didn't know that. And as you grow in that, it just keeps getting clearer and clearer and clearer to the point where you go, I cannot believe how I led my life prior to coming to the Lord Jesus. That's God in His grace, by His Spirit, through His Word, renewing us. And like a very good father, He's extremely patient with us. I don't know about you, that's one of the biggest things that has been deep going on in my mind and heart is the lack of patience I have with others and the incredible amount of patience God has had with me and Amber has had with me. <laughs> as, as God so kindly lets you 
grow and maneuver and shift in the saddle a little bit. And as he's, as he's there in his, in his word with his saints, you go, man, I can't believe how kind he's been, how tender he's been, how patient he's been. And yet he is. In that sweet correction that only comes from the Spirit of God, those bright days where he shows you yourself and sets you back on the path, God's renewing your thinking. You think differently. We all, we are growing. If you are in Christ, if the word is being poured in, beloved, we, we think differently than we have. Our reasoning is different. And every now and again, you get those interesting conversations with unsaved people. As Tony shared, one of the ministries that Amber and I are doing together, it's not, not just me, but we're, we're working with our local sheriff's office um, for about the last six years, as a chaplain, and it means a lot of ride-alongs, it means a lot of conversation, a lot of talking, and a lot of, it's kind of broken through a wall now where we can start talking about ideologies, we can talk about marriages, we can talk about parenting. And some of those questions come out where, you are just an odd man that you would live your life like that. How, uh, their, their expressions and that you would live your life based on what you see God has said in his word. It's obscure to this world that you would live like that. And yet, God in his grace allows you to stand and, and have those conversations. And so, um, you know, I'm every village missionary to some extent finds things in their community that pertains to them, and that's kind of where the Lord directs them. Some work very heavy with the school district. Some work very heavy with, with um, food banks and those kinds of things. I love cops. I always have. And God has opened up a huge door to work with law enforcement. And as I've been talking with these guys and working with these guys, I, my heart just beats to see them have Christ. Because in truth, I believe the more we understand the word and the more he's renewing our minds, the more this world makes so much sense. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen these law enforcement officers who just don't know this makes no sense to them. And they're trying to put the pieces together. God in his kindness and in his grace is renewing our minds and enabling us to see things rightly. By the pouring into the word, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. You know, it's kind of like a filtration system, if you will. All the stuff, you think about this, all right? Think about this last week. Everything you heard on the TV, the internet, the radio, and from this lost world, everything push through this massive filtration system that we call the truth of the Word of God. And as all that stuff is pushed through, we are seeking to make sense of it, understand it, and see it for what it is. That's what, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, by testing, by proving, you're seeing, is this truth or is this a lie? Because, beloved, there are massive things going on ideologically in our culture. You know them, I know them, that as we push them through the filtration system of the word, we say, this is absolutely wrong, immoral, insane. 
But we would not be able to do that apart from that precious filtration system of the word. Um, one prayer that I pray, and it's a prayer of gratitude from the pulpit there in PCBC continually, is, God, I thank you we're not here to meet, or rather, we're not here to hear from Dan. We're not here to gather to push all of the stuff we heard all week through the filtration system of what Dan might say. But rather, we're gathered to hear from the truth of the word. And that we have this, this incredible grid from God that we can go back to over and over and over again and see, does this add up what's going on around us? We're proving, we're testing to see what is the will of God in this. Because I'm sure you are aware of this. I'm very certainly aware of this, that there are things that absolutely pertain to my flesh that make all the sense in the world, but then I come to the Word and I say, this is not the truth. Everything in me wants it, but this is not the truth. That we may discern what His will is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, guys... I'm sure it has here, it certainly has for us, the last two years have been one of, if not the greatest challenges that we've had since we've been with Village Missions. I had no idea how divisive things could get. Now, God in His grace has protected Pacific Coast Bible Church from a good portion of that. I have heard some horror stories from other brothers in ministry. But here's where I'm at this morning. This is kind of uh, my challenge to you this morning. And the reason it's my challenge to you is because it's a challenge that's on my heart. And Amber and I and the kids, we've we've pulled away from Sheriff's Office, pulled away from the church for three weeks to breathe, just kind of reunite as a family and get away for a little bit. Also, it's asking the Lord you know, um, is there any redirection you want? And this, this, is, this is where I, th- I think the Lord, what I believe he's just laid on my heart, and so I challenge you with it this morning to consider. I think in 2022, the great need for the church are a pile of people ready to live sacrificially for the body. See, what's interesting about this text is that typically when this is preached, one and two is preached. Rarely have I ever heard Romans 12, one and two preached in light of the context that it sits in in the rest of the chapter. I'm not going to read through it, but you can just turn your Bible and look at it, and then all of a sudden, ta-da, It is the unity of grace and the marks of a true Christian. And what you'll see in that, the rest of that chapter, is the need of the body for the body. It's the need for the grace gifts that God has given to the body for the purpose of serving the body. And what what is so fascinating to me is that Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 is usually separate from the rest of the chapter when it's preached. But guys, you notice that God in His grace answers the question. Because here's what's interesting. I can tell you that I'll be a living sacrifice. I want to be a living sacrifice to the Lord. And it's easy for me to say that. 
I want to serve God. I want, to, I want him to be honored by Dan Mason's life in my serving. And then I ask God, so who do you want me to serve? And then isn't it fascinating in that very chapter right there, he says, the body of Jesus Christ is the context in which I've set you in. So you want to be a living sacrifice before the Lord? I want to be all in, Lord. Just take me, use me. The tough part is that when you tell God I want to be used, sometimes he uses you. And he uses you in service to people that you may not want to serve. But you said you're a living sacrifice. You said you're all in. Well, that might mean meetings that you don't necessarily want to be in. That might mean tasks you really don't want to do. But you said you're in. He called you to be a living sacrifice. He called you to give up yourself to die daily unto Him. What would that look like? It might look like sacrifice, where you actually feel it. That's why I tell that joke. It's not a joke, it's reality. But that concept of I die for my wife, but struggle loading the dishwasher. That concept of, Lord, I, I want to be all in. Take me. And then somebody comes up and you go, well, not right now. <laughs> I got things to do. And so as I've been scratching my head a little bit and we've kind of come out of some of the challenges down there in PC, I... I am convinced more than ever the body of Christ so desperately needs a group of people to say, Father, I'm all in. And however you want that to look, that is your call. Because the greatest ability every single one of you has this morning is availability to him. So leave it on the field. Because the Lord has called you to this. He's called me to this. And it scares me a little bit because I'm not quite sure what he might call me to do as I want to freshly lay myself on that altar before him as his. But I do trust him to lead in however he wishes to lead. And so that's the best part of preaching uh, to a church that, you're not preaching all the time. You don't know the inward workings and all that stuff. I have no clue how the Spirit of God may have that land on you this morning. I just trust Him completely that He would take His Word, He'd take His people, and His Spirit would rightly apply that truth and direct you exactly where He wants you to be. So I love you guys with all of my heart, and um, it's just so wonderful to get to be here with you. And my prayer is that God would encourage you not, not to bite the bullet and go after difficulty, gritting your, gritting your teeth. But the catch of all this is I believe our greatest joy is found in our serving. Not ourselves, but in our serving others, in our serving our Lord. And so I'm excited to see just what he might do. So I want to close in prayer, praying for Kettle Falls Community Church, Pastor Tony and Kath, and, and God's blessing on you. So would you join me in prayer? Father, it is interesting to think of 16 years ago stepping up to this pulpit and, and opening your word as a, 
as a 21-year-old man. And Lord, to receive so much encouragement and love from this church. And Lord, the uh, how undeserving Amber and I were to receive such open arms and strengthening and building up, Lord, for the rest of our lives that were done here. And so, Lord, Kettle Falls Community Church holds such a very, very special place in our hearts. I thank you, Father, for the instrument that this church has been, not only in our lives, but in the lives of so many people, so many village missionaries that have been affected, uh, in particular, Lord, by this, by this church family. And so, Father, I pray for health. I pray for spiritual clarity. I pray for a clear vision for the elders of this local assembly, Lord. I pray for Pastor Tony as he, as he continually, faithfully works over the study to bring the word. And Father, for the saints, for the body of this church, Lord, I pray that you would be directing them, guiding them. Father, that this may be a particularly sweet lighthouse a clean instrument in your hand for the gospel's sake in this community. And not just for this community, Lord, but for all those that you may graciously use this church to affect. And I stand as one of those. So thank you, Father, for the kind, gracious work you've done in my life through KFCC. And I pray for your blessing on them as they persevere and press forward for the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.